Um, but is it anything else that you uh, like wonder b before we take off? Uh, no. Uh, maybe no. we should just grab two glasses of water. Three sure. glasses of water. Yeah. Yeah. I can do it if you want. Every time that I prepare a new interview, I do quite extensive research. So when we finally sit down to record, I always have a wide range of questions already written down. So that is also what I did for this sit down with Caroline Ciavaldini and her husband, James Pearson. However, after just a couple of minutes into the interview, the questions went straight out of the window as this amazing, energetic couple in the most lovely way hijacked the entire interview, and I quickly decided to just hang on and enjoy the ride. My name is Magnus Ormestad, and this is episode 22 of the international series from the Swedish outdoor podcast Husky. Husky is recorded with support from Naturkompaniet and the new holiday club in Åre. Find out more about this episode and of previous episodes at huskypodcast.com. I think we're okay. So I'm here with the freshwater connoisseurs, mm -hmm. Caroline and James. Not too much limestone in the in the water. Yeah, Was that a good thing or a bad thing? Uh... Is there a button to press when you don't have the answer? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think technically there's always there's going to be the perfect balance, both in terms of taste and, and health. But <clears throat> what that balance is, I have no idea. I just know in our house we had to get rid of it all because there was so much. You have like filters built in. Yeah, yeah, so we have a big filter at the beginning of just the entrance of the water in the house that takes it all away. Hmm. So uh, interesting. I think it eh? was more interesting <laughs> because obviously the water is full of limestone. If the, Ground is limestone. Yeah. And uh, Makes clearly, sense. obviously, here there's no limestone at all. No, it's and granite, just I think. Gr yeah, so. Mm. Because some of the buildings in the old city, it looked like, maybe I'm stupid, but it was. It looked like there was some grit. Um, sandstone. sandstone. Yeah, probably. Yeah, that, and that, I was that like, I where want. is that sandstone on me? Clams obsession, you know? <laughs> so. uh, is, but, but is that true? Do you have an obsession for rock? Like, oh, yeah, totally. If, if you, if you walk past a, bu a building like made out of rock, you can oh, I wonder how that James feels. James and I, we've got... We'll walk well. around touching, like, touching yeah? walls and things. Yeah. <laughs> and if there's interesting features... Nerds. That was a, a hold. Think, in yeah, a, we have a lot of obsessions now. Yeah, I'm more nerdy than you. Oh, but for sure. <laughs> That's 100% sure. Although but, Caroline's uh, become more, a lot more curious about construction since we, we bought a house in the south of France and we've been working on renovating that. Yeah, but then stone obsession is all about being a climber. Maybe, Because yeah. when I was a young climber, it didn't seem to matter so much because I was more an indoor climber. So mm -hmm. it was really about the effort. And with time and tasting different rocks... I guess I that's probably tasting, the key. Yeah. yeah. You uh, realize it's really, really different. And I think you get closer to... I'm not going to go like esoteric and say you can feel the energy of the, the rock. The soul of the rock. But there's something to say about... Uh, with time, I think I like sandstone much better. Sandstone and granite, I think I like vol I, I like um, volcanic and... No, sandstone, not volcanic, so no. it doesn't make sense. But it, no. it's, it's about the friction, I guess. Yeah. Generally about the friction, the but also the about shapes, the form. The perfection of the shapes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, It's beautiful. Yeah, you mean, don't want the sharp edges that will cut your equipment and cut your skin? You want generally, kind of generally. I mean, granite can be super sharp. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think it's more, yeah, it cuts the skin. So a really sharp rock is a 
usually something with I mean you and I we're quite sensible about it. Yeah. I think it's more like we are thirty years old climbers who've traveled. It's more all like over we're spoiled, I think. Mm, yeah. Yeah. We become like spoiled kids. But isn't, and isn't the thing with like if you, if you climb rock uh, rocks that uh, cut your skin and gives you chaffing and so on that looks super cool on Instagram and Facebook those images when we post pictures of yeah. our bloody tips at the end yeah. of the day to make people yeah. think that we're authentic exactly that's what it's all <laughs> I about don't, I don't know I don't like pain so <laughs> I mean um, you know some with with the filters on Instagram you don't even actually need to have really chafed or bloody tips no. you can just up well, the saturation the, in the red. <laughs> And it or, does it all for or you. just add the the rock climber yeah. uh, filter on Instagram. Exactly. <laughs> hardcore. hardcore. Hashtag filter. hardcore. Yeah. Blood and chalk. That's the perfect <laughs> yeah. combination. Yeah. But uh, it's 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 very true that we are we are really spoilt as far as climbers go. I think we're basically in this fortunate situation where we constantly get to travel all over the world, visiting either the best existing places or going out there and finding new places, and so. Yeah, when you go back home and you're you like, end up climbing oh. on the stuff you know that you've always seen you next to the house. some friends like, oh, I'm going to show you this new crack, it's amazing. And you go there like, oh my God, this is just so bad. <laughs> yeah. So now you've you lost you 50% and... of your friends now. No! <laughs> but you have to try and take a step back and you have to try and Maybe. find a way to be to be excited for them. Yeah. Because at the same time, a lot of people don't have the same chance that we have and mm. we'd be just kind of assholes if you live lo- we were like well no this is really bad i can't believe you climb on this like what are you doing with your life oh yeah you can't go anywhere else so you have to you have to find a way to actually be because you can always find a silver lining you know there's always a way to look at a situation positively and so kind of e- either just the motivation that they that they have for developing these places or you know and then sometimes even if the place is not really nice or beautiful or whatever you can usually find a good route or a good move I think with time as well, I mean, just look, okay, that's maybe no subject at all, but um, you just see a house. It's a completely different subject. On first sight, it's a pretty house. And then you get to spend more time, you work more on it, you understand more secrets about it, and you love it. And it's the same for a crag, I think. Because opening a crag, a a sport crag, or or even a trad climb, it's about spending a lot of time, a lot of energy, cleaning the access, cleaning the, the rock... Uh, maintaining the the belay if there's belays, maintaining the the security pieces, and I think it's like anything. If it's your baby, you love it. So Even sometimes, if it's ugly. yeah, the wood setters sometimes <laughs> they're like kind of lose it. <laughs> You're like, well, there's never gonna be anybody going climbing on your roots, but I can't tell you because <laughs> great job. It's, you know, it's awesome what you're doing, and we've done exactly the same. Yeah. We've developed lots of places around the world that no one will exactly. ever 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 go visit mainly because they're in the middle of nowhere but or maybe because they're bad yeah <laughs> but, you want but we had so much fun doing it and um i don't know it's, it's always this i i often pose the, the ultimate question is what purpose does climbing really have like none the th- none ultimately <laughs> i mean the things that we do and we're going to talk for what an hour on it on it today ultimately it's kind of meaningless i mean we're just basically wasting our time and no, anybody's no, time no, that's no, watching us. But yeah, at the, on the other side, we're not really wasting it because we're having a load of fun. Yeah, exactly. Through climbing, s- we are happier, for sure. And hopefully then we share some of that happiness with other people. And I feel like, you know, people say like a, a smile is like throwing a pebble in a pond. You, you, you know, just one and then you watch the ripples spread out. And I think it's true. If we can, I mean, we're never going to be 
I'm getting all the good stuff right in the beginning. So it's just, I'm just thinking, oh my God, when am I stopping? Just stop. <laughs> but <laughs> we're never going to be, we're never <laughs> going to be like, do anything really important with our life. We're not, we're not doctors. We're not politicians. We're not going to change the world. But if we can somehow change our little world just by being happier, then, you know, that's, that seems to be enough reason to, to actually go out there every day and pull on these little strange rocks. Um, speaking of inspiring people, you hosted a event last night with uh, the North Face store, uh, North Face store in Stockholm. Yes. How did that go? It was. Um, you opened so up some minds. Uh, yeah, turned, we turned people turned some people on to climbing. We should let Caroline Hopefully. answer this because it's the first one of those events that. Oh really? She's she's actually done, mm-hmm. uh, no, and it was really interesting to see how yeah, okay. a kind of perception of of the idea. And the concept has changed. So how did you like it, Capo? Oh, I'm allowed to talk. <laughs> Great, it's my turn. <laughs> so, uh, no, it's not my first event for a start, but it's my first uh, event where I was supposed to go. The other ones I went, but didn't actually uh, yeah, help. Yeah. Um, I think one year ago, when North Face started doing that, I mean, we're athletes. We're not marketing people. Doing ma- mountain athletics. Yeah, doing mountain athletics. We didn't believe it was going to work so well. And uh, it did. Um, the concept is very simple. It's um, proposing to people free access to a, um, a good trainer who uh, is supposedly going to train them for their, to help them uh, accomplish the outdoor project. And it's quite uh, varied. It can be... Uh, it can be climbing, it can be uh, trail running, it can be mountaineering. Um, I don't know actually if it's already specialized, but I think they're aiming, aiming at specializing it. But in general, it's kind of really giving the opportunity to people from big cities where it's sometimes hard to, well, A, take the time, B, get the motivation after work, to uh, go work out, but not just with the objective of working out, more like work out because... You've got this this thing that you want to do at some point, and you need to prepare for it. The hashtag I train for exactly exactly, concept. and yeah. it's it looks like a very big marketing thing, but at the same time, being athletes, this is exactly what we do all the time. Realistically, we and until we do that all the time, and until until yeah, two years ago, uh, North Face or brands in general did never communicate about all the training hours, as if like. Yeah, but I mean, you'll be in the gym, no one to see, wants but to see that. But it's not exactly true. I mean, there are other brands out there that have had these kind of run or fitness clubs based in stores yeah, for, a, right. for a few years now. And I guess is that that's probably why we were a little hesitant at first with North Face's decision to go down that line. We thought they were just trying to, to copy what had already been done to jump on that bandwagon. And, you know, in six months, they were going to decide on a new corporate strategy and then go in a different direction. And there was going to be no kind of heart behind it. I think the big difference is instead of just I'm going training, it's like you said, it's I train for. There's a there's there's always an ultimate goal for the training because I'll be the first to admit I don't really enjoy training that much. But if there's a if there's a reason behind it, if there's a, a big goal that I'm working towards at the end, then I can justify that time. I'd rather be out there in the mountains and we're lucky that we can do that every day. But there are moments where we even have to kind of confine ourselves to the gym and work hard towards this goal and so for the people that don't have the chance like that we do to be out there in in the hills or in the forests or you know wherever 
This is such a cool method, uh, such a cool a message. I think it's a real thing. Uh, but and it's such a strong thing to build a community and give yeah. people an, an identity. And then through all of that comes more motivation to push themselves and to, to develop themselves. And who knows where it's going to go. Yeah, I think the big addition is not actually the training because people who really had a goal, they already trained. It's the community. But yeah. tra because training together is easier. Mm. And some, some nights... I mean, I, I'm, I'm just... Obviously, I'm not working in an office and I'm really lucky for that. But I'm, I, ca I can imagine what it's like and when you've done a full day... Trying to find the motivation to go to the gym and, and you know, bust it out for a well, few hours after 10 hours in the office. What you actually really dream office. of is being outside and you're not going to have it this evening. But what you can have is knowing that you're building a little piece of yeah. your project. So yeah. that's and it's, also cool. e it's always easier to motiva motivate yourself if you know that your friends are going there yeah, exactly. Wednesday sure. evening. And, yeah. so. and they can be, you know perhaps friends that you're going to meet at the events. And that's yeah. also super cool. You can have the idea that, you know, I want to train for a project in the outdoors, but you don't mind necessarily know what that is. And then through people that you meet at these things, everybody gets together and has ideas like, oh, I don't know, let's plan a trip to go climbing in Wadi Rum or let's go plan a trip to run the trail race on Monte Rosa. Yeah, and people are going to be like, wow, I can't do that. And mm. people are like, yes, you can. Like, you know, come join us. We'll show you how. And through that, you kind of, you open your your self expectations and uh, your limits is, of possibility, and that's approach, super super interesting. This other approach that North Face is actually I mean North Face or other brands is bringing is uh, is not the training for training because we I mean. 2017 now, a lot of people in different countries uh, they work out for working out because they want a pretty body because it's healthy, and maybe I'm I'm just thinking if you hear about this mountain athletic training, if you're not if you're just working out for working out, you might be like oh actually, I mean why not I could actually mm. have a goal behind it and uh, so you could you could argue that this concept kind of could bring people go do things outdoors that they wouldn't have done so much before. And to me, this is really positive. I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm ecologic. Uh, how do you say? Ecologi Ecologically minded. I mean, You're an ecologist. I, I think I was going to say I've got a... <laughs> Sometimes you think. A tree hugger. I've, <laughs> no, I mean, I'm just, okay. I, I, I'm just a biology student. I'm being mm. a biology student. I can't be against ecology. This would be, you know, we just came mm. back from the US. So it's like you put things into perspective. But um, if, if you bring people who grew up and work in the city outdoors, you finally give them the chance to love it yeah. and then protect it. It's about reconnecting people, I think. Yeah. Uh, did you have that growing up? Like, because you grew up, you didn't grow up in England or boring Sweden. You grew up in Réunion. Oh, well. No, Sweden is not boring. <laughs> that's fantastic. all a question yeah. of perspective. I would <laughs> never say boring, boring Sweden. Um, but yeah, that's Réunion Island. These are small dots um, on the other side of the world, realistically. And uh, it's a tropical French island. And it's I think you were really um, positively surprised the minute you came off the plane the first time I brought you there because you land there and you can see this island where you've got just... So it's a volcano. It's a live volcano. It's a really bizarre experience <coughs> the first time I, f I found. And, um, and the, the surroundings of the island, which are the flattest, they are inhabited. And still, there's a million people on the island, so mm -hmm. it's a lot of people. But 
the main, like, if you look from the air, the island is a volcano full of uh, tropical vegetation. Oh. So there's, the least you can say is there's trees everywhere. There's yeah. banana yeah, the, trees the, the, the in the main the body of the island's uninhabited because you can't really, it's too steep, too, and so it's, too complicated. It's, it's not even that it's easy to access the outdoors, it's that the outdoors is in your garden. Yeah, but so. I think what, what shocked me most about Reunion, if, at least the first time I, I went, was... You step off the plane, you leave the airport, you, you drive, you know, down the first few streets, through the city, and then out onto the highway. And everything reminds you of France. Like, mm. it's just, it's basically like driving around Montpellier or Marseille, but with palm trees everywhere and the sounds of the jungle. <laughs> you see all the road signs, the, the way that the, the roads and the streets are constructed. Even the buildings look kind of simil similar. The bakeries aren't exactly the same. Yeah, but they look the same. <laughs> but then as soon as you drive more than sort of 10 minutes off the beaten track, suddenly you're in this... Jurassic Park set. Yeah, yeah, really. No, it's actually even more varied than just Jurassic Park. It's like luxurious jungle and it, then it, kind of savanna sometimes. Wow. You go like, through so many different layers. Yeah. In, yeah. in If you drive actually up to the volcano, you can, you can drive to, not the well, summit, the but you then. can drive yeah. to one of the plains just below. You literally, you start off down in tropical beach, go up into jungle, rainforest, and you come through that and you end up in somewhere that really reminded me of of the Lake District or Wales, like kind of rolling green hills, really lush. With cows? With cows, like big hairy highland cattle. <laughs> <laughs> and then you keep on going and it gets kind of fairly arid and then literally becomes the the plain, they call it the plan, plan de sable? The plain de sable. The plain de sable, which is like... They've actually used it in quite a few sci-fi films wow. as a stand-in for Mars wow. because it's just this flat, <laughs> red desert with the the peaks of the volcano sticking out above. It's totally crazy. And there's craters as well from little mini-explosions that have come out over time. It's totally bizarre. So it's a very varied place. And it's a place, I think, that's really hard not to develop a love for the for the outdoors. So that was your... Your childhood yeah. was like that, like going out, going out in the outdoors, like hiking and so on. Yeah, I've got this. Uh, I mean, I ever had this memory. Just, I think maybe for Sweden, it's going to be very unusual, like to go to school. I mean, I didn't grow up. Some people ask me if there was electricity and uh, if I had a, you know, a bone in my oh, nose. Because basically. that was my next question. <laughs> <laughs> like, like James really said, this is really modern. Okay, it wasn't super modern when I was a kid, but I grew up and. I had like a 15-minute walk to go to my uh, school when I was 12-year-old, and I had to go through uh, sugar cane fields. Oh, really? And, uh, steal a cane on the way? Did you steal a cane on uh, the way? No, because, well, no, you can't, because the sugar cane that's used for making sugar mm -hmm. is not actually the one oh, okay, that's really, okay. really good. No, to um, eat. Every now and again, you, you'll find the one that you can eat like a candy, but <laughs> this one is way drier, so... Um, but, uh, yeah, and... Um, so what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> no, Basically, your, ch your childhood, how it was. Yeah, you spent a lot of time in, yeah, the, in nature. Yeah, I'm just talking about it. I get lost in my memories. Mm -hmm. um, it's the kind of interviews yeah, that I like. <laughs> when people get lost. <laughs> <laughs> this is where I grew up. Yeah, I mean, I had a normal house with a, yeah, a good garden. I had a tree house. But maybe until then, this is not crazily unusual for mm -hmm. people. But... Um, on weekends, we would go on walks. And I mean, when you're a kid, it's, this is your reality. This is normal. Mm. But it's only actually being a grown-up, leaving the island and coming back that I can realize how astonishing it was. Uh, astonishing? Yeah. Stunning? Whatever. Because 
like the um, the walking paths um, in England. James had kind of you could say a similar um, growing up, except he would have uh, uh, watertight shoes and uh, waterproof things and waterproof hats, and <laughs> they would have to go whatever the weather. Waterproof hats. I like the idea. <laughs> I never had a waterproof hat, but okay. Well. Maybe not. Just call it an umbrella. I don't know. <laughs> okay, you had an umbrella to walk. No, you didn't have an umbrella to walk. No. But you must we had have a hood. hat. Okay, a hood. <laughs> Great. <laughs> and uh, I mean, it's a thing on the back of your jacket that you never put on your James, head. James, it's too advanced for for <laughs> Réunion. They didn't it's, have stuff like that. This is the thing. I didn't they had coming. just had first. In 2021, <laughs> it's going to be there. <laughs> the next big thing. It umbrellas. Does, it does rain all the time, but it's tropical. It's hot. So it's going to rain yeah. for one hour, yeah. like downpour rain, mm. but it doesn't matter if you get wet because you're not cold. So I must have had one rain jacket made of basically plastic cloth, <laughs> nothing nothing technical, and uh, you couldn't breathe in it anyway no. because you would get so sweaty. You would get more wet wearing it <laughs> than without it. And... Uh, So, yeah, when I think about your childhood, to me, it seems like so miserable. But at the same time, it was a, I mean, She's not talking about me. She's talking about James. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think we often say that I think reu that reunion would be an awesome place to raise kids because you, they just have so many possibilities to do different, different exciting things. And it's not just that. Like, you could be, you could be hiking in the in the the jungle on the side of the mountain one day you could be um climbing rappelling canyoning the other day and then the next day you can be swimming in a tropical reef it is actually sport rappelling just a personal joke uh and yeah i mean even now you can still go swimming in the reef and see the fish the sharks aren't aren't dangerous there you can't go surfing anymore that's maybe one of the bad things parapenting that's how you said Yeah. No, paraglide. How do you say in English? Paragliding. Para it's paragliding amazing, but really, it, I guess really it's harder to get into as a kid. I was thinking of the things no, that of you course. can easily <laughs> easily do. And yeah. and where but what, is, do you, but what do you mean you can't? Oh, sorry, I'm, you you can't go surfing anymore. Yeah. Okay. There's a very the specific trouble that's oh, yeah. happening on Rainin now, since five six years. years six, six years. years. Yeah. For some reason, there's sharks everywhere now. So um, I've not actually spent hours and hours researching, so I'd rather not tell you something like a wrong cause. Mm. I think it's not very clear why. No one There's seems always to really been know sharks, the but now they eat humans. Hmm. Yeah. So it's kind of a really sad story because it was a paradise for surfing. They had World Cups for surfing. Hmm. And now... Out of the places where there's a bar, uh, but even a lot of the beaches where you were swimming as a kid, yeah, yeah, yeah. I now they're go, all closed. You're yeah. not allowed oh, to really? go swimming. Like because I, it's so I, dangerous, I've got so yeah. many memories going every weekend with my dad, and he would uh, we would go scuba diving. He would take my hand and show me all the little uh, yeah. fish and all. And, this and is now fun. the little fishes have grown big, and well, they eat people <laughs> and hungry. <laughs> the thing is, uh, well, nobody knows why. Well, there's always strange. been sharks. Never I saw heard sharks of that. when I was little. Mm. Yeah, nobody cared. I guess. All in all, this is not exactly the end of the world, but mm. it's a big issue on Reunion because it's really affecting tourism. Yeah. Um, but it's more its more like a, mis, a misconception of what Reunion Island is about. It, actually, it's a tropical island with nice beach, beaches, but this is not the reason why you should go on Reunion Island because it's a mountain island. Yeah. Mm. The amazing, If you want beaches, there are way better places you can go for a beach holiday. Reunion is just magical for what's inside. Yeah, we don't have the big sand things. We, I mean, we have a few, but not that many. And now we have the sharks. <laughs> it's not exactly perfect, but 
It's. I think it's really considered one of the very best destinations for paragliding. And canyoning. Uh, canyoning. Canyoning is amazing. And then you got this uh, trail running, very famous... Uh, um, yeah, they have an ultra trail there called the, the Diagonal de Fou. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's one of the hardest and most dangerous. I've interviewed uh, Emily, Emily Forsberg, the Solomon sponsored Emily Forsberg. Okay. She she won it, I think, two thousand and thirteen. I think. Oh right, okay. Killian's girlfriend. Yeah. Okay, we spoke with um with just with Seb about the Seb Diagonal. Sh- Seb Chignot? Yeah, Diagonal de Fou. He was saying it was a really cool, really crazy race. So yeah. Um, like if you, I'm not going to ask that many questions about your upbringing, James. I'm sorry. It's not for some reason. It doesn't <laughs> it's sound kind of boring. It doesn't sound as exotic. exotic no, as but like. it's just more like. I think the point I was trying to make with that is that reunion gives kids so many chances naturally, whereas in the UK, for sure, you can have a lot of chances growing up and experience a lot of things, but you you have to spend a lot of money to do to do that. And because my family growing up, we didn't have so much money. Yeah, it was more we... basic stuff that you could do for free at the weekend. So I spent a lot of time hiking with, mm-hmm. with my parents, with my waterproof boots and trousers. And waterproof and hats. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, I would say you actually had at least as much an outdoorsy bring that as Oh, yeah, it was incredibly outdoor. We were always outdoors doing things, but it was not as varied as that. You got the chance really to try everything that you could dream of trying as a kid. Mm-mm. And in addition to that, Reunion is such a sheltered place um, culturally and, and racially that I think it's just a, a great place to bring up kids. Uh, Caroline, she almost touched on it earlier but then got went off subject. She was saying that her her school, or maybe maybe I missed it. Did I, you say that? No, I was reading ahead. I thought you were going to say that. but <laughs> I'm that amazing. You didn't. <laughs> she was going to say <laughs> that when she, was, when she was at school... Um, What's, what's the subject? I still don't know. Just like wait we, and we, see. Wait and see. We talked about, for example, when we when we first started to spend time together. We, you know, you talked about different upbringings and things like that, and you're I asked you about, about the like diversity ra- in my school. Yeah, racism okay. issues, and you're like, well, you know, growing growing up on reunion to be racist was a, a word or you know a phrase that I didn't understand because actually, no, realistically, was, there is there is a sort of racism on reunion. I think, sadly, I mean, communities there's always problems. But in my in my school, there is a, I think in my classroom that I kept kind of the whole scholarity, there was, yeah, black, white, yellow, uh, people from all sorts of ethnic. No minority, no majority. Exactly, exactly. No, and loads of religions. I remember when I was a kid going to, I could hear the mosque, and mm-hmm. uh, some of my friends, their mom, they had a. Not a full veil, but I had a veil, and um, the kiddos didn't have a veil yet. Mm. I think you just have have it later. I'm not really yeah. sure. Yeah. And um, uh, some other of my friends, we would go to the Hindu uh, weddings, oh. amazing weddings, because mm. so many flowers everywhere. There would always be somebody walking on fire. I still don't quite <laughs> understand that one, but uh, I mean, and James had. Uh, I'm not even. Yeah, you had one black kid in your whole school. Yeah. So yeah, obviously, I come from a very kind of it, small yeah. town inland UK, and it was just that was that was it. The overriding population was predominantly white, and and so the the only foreigner was somebody to. It wasn't in a in a in, in a bad way or a negative way, but clearly they were they were an outsider. They so were the, clearly the from, other from the beginning. Exactly, we yeah. had this idea of of us and them, and, it's and sadly that's an issue yeah. that seems to be presenting itself more and more frequently and more and more. 
violently I think it's now just like in, it's in the UK and all, all over. Where you just didn't you have that, yeah. which, which I find so, yeah. so cool. Maybe it's the case, you know, the grass is always greener. So I look at that and think of everything that, that I didn't have. And I'm sure there's lots of issues and problems as well there, but... I don't know. You only had so, uh, you only had fist fights and fish and chips. Fist fights and fish and chips, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Well, we kind of di- we're picturing it fairly wrong because you had an amazing. Child. I had a wonderful, <laughs> I think, wonderful childhood. I, think, I owe my I parents mean, maybe, so much. Yeah, exactly. My I would say it's my parents that gave me that. I think the love for for the outdoors. I mean, I'm not saying my parents were not good. They were amazing and did <laughs> everything. But because James' parents were very, um, they did put a lot of time in their children's education. They had no money whatsoever. But they they spent the time, they spent the energy, and uh, they yeah, gave their they invested energy and, and time and and, and think, love yeah. instead of money. I think the excuse of saying that I had a I had a shit background and my parents. I mean, I I don't know if it's an excuse, but I'm pretty sure you can always do a good job with your children if you just spend the time. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Okay, I don't have any kids. <laughs> Better shut up for now. <laughs> um, were, did you both have? Um, were you the kind of kids that kind of dreamt away about, like, had big dreams about adventures, like reading? Well, books. my dreams, my dreams as a, as a young kid, my dreams were always based around climbing. Although, no, you wanted to be an astronaut. I don't think I ever wanted to be an astronaut. I don't no. think I ever had those bizarre. Like childhood fantasies. I think uh, at some point Not I wanted to be age. a president, but <laughs> no. At some point, like a little bit later, I wanted to be a fighter pilot, but that was actually when I was really genuinely thinking about possible careers. It wasn't, you know, this is this throwaway thing. Um, but no, from a very early age, I was dre- I dreamt of being a a rock climber. Even I think even before I really understood what rock climbing meant. It's quite funny. My mum, she found recently, she found some old drawings. I think I must have been three years old, marked on the wow. on the paper, of drawing mount, mountains with people climbing. Mm. And in the in the, in the picture, you've got a, the guys climbing on a top rope, coming down from the top of the mountain. So I'd, I'd clearly I'd seen. I sport kind of had repelling. A, he was sport repelling off the top of, and this mountain looks like the Igerus, you know, this tiny thin like pointy thing. And there's a helicopter up there that's I don't know doing something. No, but that's but, pretty cool, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I clearly had all these these ideas or these visions, and I was trying to piece them all together and figure out what it meant. And as far back as I can remember, I can I remember trying to ask my parents if if I could if I could go climbing, but because neither of them climbed and didn't really know anybody that climbed, and in the UK because actually probably at least my view on this is based on the fact that we mainly go trad climbing, which is quite different to sport climbing the public perception of climbing in england is one of kind of reckless risk taking and danger and so it's not really something that you want your kids to get into so unless you have you know close relations or or friends that can take you under their wing it's impossible or it was impossible now it's better with all the all the climbing walls that are sprouting up everywhere but no for probably at least 10 years or so i was totally you know, set on the idea of being a climber, but it was impossible to start. And then, But you don't know where those influences came from? No. I think it was partly because I grew up in the Peak District, which is one of the climbing meccas of, of England. And so when we'd go on hikes with my parents, oh, you would I'd always, always be... Those it's a really people. natural thing to do to, to go climbing for a kid, you know, whether it yeah. be on a boulder or a tree or a climbing frame or whatever. And so I'd do that and I, and I really liked it. And I think I was probably always quite good. So you generally like stuff that you do well. Mm. And at the same time, I'd see people 
really climbing out in the oh, Peak really District. Oh, really? A lot? Even at the time? Yeah. Okay. Like we'd, we'd, for example, every time you drive through Matlock Bath, which is a little town near to where I lived, there's a big cliff above the road, and every time we'd, we'd drive through, I'd look and, and try and spot all the climbers and be like, mm. oh, there's one, oh, there's one, he's wearing red. And I remember trying to understand how it all worked, like how did they make themselves safe and things like that at a really early age. It's and funny then, because at the same time he comes from a rugby family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So his granddad and his dad, everybody's always been playing rugby every Wednesday, every, uh, well, training several times per week and playing matches every weekend. Yeah. And uh, your mom, she was always on the side with her two kids, like cheering for daddy, who was uh, captain of his team. So James, he started rugby and he should have been a rugby player. I mean, I'm not saying a professional, but you should have been all about rugby, but some. Clearly, something was drawing him to climbing. Yeah. But and the mountains are calling. Exactly. <laughs> and I must go. <laughs> and so uh, around 15 or 16, um, I made some new friends at a, a different school. And basically, I'd, I'd kind of almost forgotten about climbing at that point. I mean, I was still climbing on stuff, you know, like kids, kids do, just fooling around. But it kind of the actual drive to go rock climbing had, had sort of disappeared. And I was doing other stuff at the time. I was playing rugby. I was doing lots of like inline skating or things like that. And at some point, one of my friends was like, oh, I went climbing at the weekend. And I was like, oh, wow, cool, climbing. You know, I always wanted to, to try that thing. And he said, oh, next time we go, I'll take you. And he did. And literally the that evening... You never I, looked back. I, I, no, I just found a thing mm. that was for, for me. Throughout my entire childhood, I'd been, I'd been changing through lots of different sports. And I think I'd always kind of had... I remember actually while, while, when I was inline skating, I must have been about 10 or 11. And I was okay. I wasn't great, but I was going to the skate park and I was doing my tricks and stuff like that. And I started to hear the word sponsorship and I'd read like skate magazines and I'd see people being like sponsored. And I didn't really know what it meant, but I knew it meant they got free stuff from somebody. So I remember asking friends of my dad at the rugby club, one night, that owned local businesses. Oh, do you want do you want to sponsor me for 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 rollerblading? Because I'm really good. You should you know you should sponsor me and give me some stuff. I actually, I don't think it was a dream, but um, I remember the first time I asked asked about sponsorship. Um, I think I was I was already a bit better at climbing than you were. <laughs> I must have won my first Iranian championship, and with my mum, we uh, we brought a. A three-line text, something like, my name's Karen Ciavadini, I'm 12 or whatever. I'm a Iranian champion in climbing. Can you please sponsor me? And I sent it to everybody. That's how you came in contact with the North Face. Well, that would be 12. <laughs> they said, we'll keep an eye on you. Uh, yeah. Actually, I remember my, my, my dad's accountant gave me a bit of money. Yeah. That was but actually, cool. I mean, we, we laugh about it now, but there's, there's a few climbers in the UK that actually make probably a good chunk of the of the money that they make from random firms like that mm. from accountancy companies or i don't know local garages i don't know if that's a urban meet or not maybe no I, I mean i know i'm not going to name them my names but it definitely <laughs> it definitely exists they struggle to find sponsorship through the regular you know the lines. obvious ones and but so they don't they don't they don't go I think they to put the, a thing uh, in the local paper they were like look at this guy you know he's just mm. done this and this and this but he can't you can't do it for a living, uh, you know, can anybody help? And some local businesses were like, yeah, we'll do it. So no, it's, it's funny. <laughs> um, your way into climbing, was it similar? Because you started right away with the cli- indoor climbing gym, didn't you? 
so I think my bringing to climbing is just as different from James as it's possible. Climbing is a very... Was that in English? Was there a lot of English mistakes in that sentence? No, it's okay. Okay. But then again, my English is pretty poor <laughs> <laughs> nowadays. Um, Thanks to the influence of a certain little French lady. So <laughs> <laughs> no, I, um, I started climbing through school. Um Like a gym class. Yeah. I don't know how uh, developed is climbing at school in Finland or Sweden. in Sweden. Sweden. Sorry. My. Jesus Christ. Okay, there's she it's has been real two days. Trouble with I am saying this. Finland instead yeah. instead of Sweden and I know where it is and I know the capital, but for some um, reason maybe I will, I, I will leave that in. I will not edit that <laughs> edit that out. Oh, no, don't do that. <laughs> but don't worry, ma'am, you'll get an op- you'll get another opportunity. Okay, cool. She'll call she'll drop in Norway maybe later. I've got as this well. I've got this hidden attraction to this Finnish uh, amazing climber and Probably. Uh, he looks like you so Oh yeah, not Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Huh? If I, if I hold on, if I flap my hair down like this, <laughs> I'm sad. Kind of a gnarly look. <laughs> right, luckily, person, nobody Awkward. can see me. <laughs> <laughs> so what was I saying? So climbing is very, very developed in schools, and um, so I had, I remember, I had one um, running um, uh, semester, one rugby semester, and one climbing semester, mm-hmm. and uh, I. J- I think it's always for me. It's just crazy to 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 imagine that. I think it's it's coming out. Climbing is so far down the ladder. (laughs) School priorities in England. But it's the fourth school, fourth sport at school in France. So it's very big, and Mm. uh, it's it's expensive um, uh, infrastructure, but it's not that expensive realistically compared to a football. Yeah, nowadays most of the schools in France have a climbing gym. Yeah. Well, I don't know if most, but a lot. And so uh, I started and uh, I was really good at it. So I liked it. Do you know what it was that kind of spoke to you? Like what what was it in climbing that you... Was it just that you the were fact good? That you were good at it. Yeah. If I'm really honest, mm-hmm. uh, so at the time I was um, playing tennis a lot. I was dancing. I had just stopped doing horse riding. Uh, did I say I was dancing? Mm-hmm. I was sailing a lot. I had a lot of activities, and climbing was just one of them. And uh, why did I slowly let go of everything else for climbing? I think a big part of it was the the group in which I was, because I mean, my climbing world was really, really small. It was obviously it's a really interesting activity, but I'm not going to spit on other sports. And there's amazing. I mean. Tennis, well, no, I hate tennis, but I'm sure loads of people can love tennis. Sailing is amazing. When you, I mean, mm. well, the only thing is sailing on Union Island, where I was, there was not enough wind, so there was a lot of boredom time. But sailing is a great sport, I think. Um, it was more like the the people around me. The I think I had teachers that were really keen, who brought me all around the island. That's pretty lucky when you think about it. A teacher who takes on her time. Um, and takes the kids um, for 10 days all around the island. <laughs> I mean, that there is better holidays than that for yeah. a teacher. <laughs> But she did it. And so she gave us the love of the rock, which was, hmm. I mean, from plastic indoor climbing, there's a big first step into actually touching rock and liking it. Um, and uh, she... she She gave us the opportunity to start competing as well. And so as soon as I started climbing, I started competing. And I I spent like 15 years in the competition world. 
And that's very, that's very, very intense. Uh, whatever the sport is always, it's kind of a similar story. It's a inner journey into a pursuit of mental and physical excellence. And that's, I don't even think you actually question, uh, do you like the sport or not? You just, you're on it. I just remember reading the biography of uh, Andre Agassi. Mm -hmm. And that's a very good example of a professional athlete who's been very successful, successful hating his sport all the time. So <laughs> I am definitely not saying I hated climbing. I'm just saying I, I don't even think in, in the beginning that I did question how much I liked it. Hmm. And with, with the time now, I mean, I've discovered loads of other aspects of climbing, like James tried climbing, which is completely different. It's way more natural, you could say. And, um, But what what came first, James or trend climbing? Oh no, <laughs> no, James came first. Obviously, I would have never started trend climbing uh, for <laughs> without James. So there's this. I think what people know about climbing in general is uh, either indoor climbing or sport um, rock climbing, which is I'm not going to say 100% safe. But you should be fine. You should really not have an accident. You have like pre-bolted routes and so on, yeah. top you, rope and everything. So it's uh, you're gonna be either top rope or on the lead, but oh, yeah. you're placing yeah. security, mm -hmm. uh, you're placing carabiners into uh, metal uh, rings Bo that are glued or uh, stuck in the rock. Mm -hmm. So I mean, on paper, unless you make it, unless there's a human mistake, everything's completely fine. Trad climbing is not like that. And uh, you didn't start climbing for the security. You started climbing for the danger. It was, I think, yeah. at the time, trial climbing was seen and it's still seen as a, it's an extreme sport. It's, uh, it's not quite base think, jumping, but it's got something I don't think common. we can say I started trial climbing for the danger, but just trial climbing is how climbing was done in England at the time. But as a kid, you were very adventurous. Yeah. You had no problem with soloing little bits of rock. Yeah, yeah for sure. So... Even before I really, really climbed, that was that was fine. Mm. But what is it? But is it true that you had a an element of kind of a daredevil in you? You kind of like the tingling sensation. But I've always been I've always been attracted to extreme sports, whatever you want to call them, um, sports that give you an adrenaline rush. But ironically, trad climbing um, is is not one of those sports. In fact, you really. You rarely feel any adrenaline whilst you're climbing, and generally, if you feel if you've if you've got that adrenaline rush, it's because yeah. something's gone wrong because you've put yourself in a situation that you shouldn't be in. Drag climbing is much more about controlling the risk. It's uh, the the most simple way to describe it is you know if you walked if you walked along a thin uh, a thin wall at ground level, why not do that at 100 meters off the floor? You know you can do it. There's nothing that's changed. It's just your perception of the of the risk. And how that risk then affects your physical performance, and I think that's what's what's really interesting. A lot of the routes I I was I was doing when I was when I was younger. This is kind of after starting climbing and after discover, making those first steps and discovering kind of what it all meant. When I started to actually push myself and do harder and harder trad routes, it was a question of I know I can do this route, but can I do it when it counts? which is ironically very similar to what Caroline was experiencing later on with her competitions, but with very different, uh, fairly brought very different results. For me, fairly was was potentially mortal. 
for Caroline fairly was just it was a lost competition, but at the same time it was devastating as, as well. Well, I was in debt. That's already something. <laughs> but s- hold on, there's something about your description. You just described it. I don't want people to take it wrong. Uh, you described it as walking along a white line, as if like you're hundred percent sure you can do it. When you said you were sure you could do the routes, this is not really. True. I mean, some of the routes. Yeah. You did, okay. So this was, was more like w- walking along a white line that was, you know, slightly broken up, and you might have to hop and spin around on at some points. <laughs> and closed eyes. <laughs> With closed eyes, occasionally. <laughs> so there were definitely moments that take you closer to the edge than than others, but generally speaking, it's doing something that you know physically you should be able to do. Three times out of four. Yeah, well, I mean, you'd, it, yeah, yeah, you'd have a, you, you know, you'd work <laughs> out the percentage, roughly. So a lot of the time, a lot of the time when I was younger and I was trying dangerous tra- traditional routes, I would practice them before with a safety with a safety rope, and depending on the odds, if I fell off one time in ten or one time in five or one time in two, then I could decide, you know, is the risk worth the reward? And somebody could tell you the risk of dying is never worth the reward, but this is a sport. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, and that was yes, the game. I think he had a and there were risks, Daredevil com- component. And there were routes that I did 17, 18, 19 years old that I wouldn't ever dream of doing nowadays. They were just hmm. too they were just too too far. But at that time maybe it's the fact that I was just younger and I don't know. I think young young males are typically the some of the most arrogant and I think it's risk- maybe the most dangerous time of your life. I mean, just look at driving a car. You think you're invincible. You think you're all, you know. That's the thing. Risk-taking is all down to what you think. Uh, I I think even Alex Arnold will tell you he doesn't take any risk because he doesn't think he takes any risk. And James will tell you, I don't take any risk. So actually, it's not... You can't ask him how much risk do you think you take. Yeah, it's based on your experiences that you're living at the time. And then you're wants, it's and kind then, of a, and it's yeah. about an an ex, an ever expanding comfort zone as well, yeah, and, and competence zone, and then like knowing also later limits. on perhaps you know, uh, uh, well hopefully not, but <laughs> hopefully you're on past the limit, but yeah, I feel like my comfort zone's compressed quite a lot from the from those days. Like I'm I'm there's a I'm a lot less likely to take those potentially mortal risks. When I do now, it's really something that has to be has to be worth it or something that I'm absolutely sure is, is going to go fine. Maybe you could say that when you were really young, there was a bit of a gambling part to it. Yeah. Like actually, you didn't actually, you're talking about uh, um, percentages, but yeah. I don't think you did calculate that well the risk and Maybe. you did fully understand the consequences and we've made Or at least maturity. the percentage for fairly was much, much higher. I mean, there's always percentage chances that something can go wrong. Simply, you know, hold breaks or... You know, there's a million things that could happen that probably never will, but it can. And so even if you're climbing the easiest route in, in the world, but you're solo, it's, you're taking huge risks. But, you know, if we were worried about that, then we'd all want to live in a little bubble. You know, you life's think, ultimately for living. Do you think you, because now you, uh, you share this life and you share this passion, you're both climbers from a, from a very young age, do you think... Um, like both, you've uh, you've evolved, you've matured, um, and do, but do you think that climbing, like when you two go climbing, do you kind of take on different roles than when you are at home? Is it a problem, like climbing as husband and wife? Are you more or less likely to 
expose yourself or I mean comparing if you climb with a with a mate with a with a friend mm-hmm. even if it's a close friend it's not your it's not Carolyn yeah uh, do you know what I mean you know what I'm getting at is it uh, is I it know. sometimes difficult do you have to like take on like a professional um role when you communicate with amongst yourself or? so I think to answer I would, I would ask you uh, when is the last time you climbed with somebody who wasn't me my Without you, without me, then I don't. I don't remember. <laughs> so <laughs> we have we a own pretty much. We have a really really close yeah. relation, and uh, but we I spend. Think pre- it might be hard. Twenty four hours a day, at least three hundred days a year together. <laughs> it's kind of, it's very extreme, and I think ninety percent of people don't understand it. Uh, I don't know why it's like that. Um, first, we have we had, we had really different lives. I mean, James was an outdoor climber. He was always going on trips. I was a competition climber. I was always going on trips. We had actually not much time in common, and we couldn't. We didn't like it. So we've both made our. Well, yeah, we took evolved. steps to to bring our lives closer together. So aligning sponsorship. And I was um, just doing more joint joint projects. I was just thinking recently, um, James started to want to uh, bike a bit more. Um, have a little bit of a, a side activity but then he had to convince me to go do it with him because <laughs> he wouldn't do it without me <laughs> so. no but i mean being in a in a very exposed situation yeah uh, the, the the fear of something happening yeah. to, to caroline well i think so first of all so basically maybe before we talk about that we should talk about how you got into trad climbing because it wasn't yes. instantaneously it wasn't just because i'm a trad climber suddenly you start to do it At first, you thought I was totally crazy. So you I think no you interest. you must have grasped it. We're quite opposite. Uh, James is all the risk taker, and I'm he's pulling towards risk. I'm pulling towards security. So, and this works just as much in climbing as in real life. Yeah. So we function just the same way in real life and climbing. There's no uh, there's no putting a hat on, or at mm. least I'm not aware of it. No. I don't. I don't. Not think a waterproof so. hat. <laughs> <laughs> oh well. Your dad actually has a waterproof hat. It does. That's why it does exist. Yeah. <laughs> so where would we go? And so, for the first probably two years of our of our relationship, we we were only sport climbing, and um, that was great because Caroline actually she was still competing, so she still had to maintain her her form. And I'd, in fact, my biggest problem that I still to this day I think the biggest problem I've ever experienced in climbing was the fact that I. I I'd never trained or developed myself phys- physically. I'd always relied on kind of natural ability and risk risk taking or being being bold. And so I had no idea how to how to take that step away from it. I was basically in a situation where I was as a professional climber, you're supposed to try and always, you know, go further, faster, stronger, do more and more and more. Every project has to be somehow greater than, than the last. And when When the only thing you know how to do is basically take risks, the the long term chances of something happening are, are fairly high. I remember one day realizing that and thinking I needed to do something about it, but not n- knowing quite how. And I tried to train. I tried to build my my sport climbing ability in the past and just never really succeeded. And so getting to know Caroline gave me this new opportunity to to kind of change who I was as a climber to you know, add a new string to my bow and potentially 
maybe make my life a little bit longer, which was super interesting. Because <laughs> over the first couple of years, we were just uh, we were just sport climbing, and that was awesome. I kind of almost was was tried climbing less than ever, but it was just didn't matter at all. I was motivated on a new, on a new thing, and I was excited it. by a new thing. Yeah, you were improving fast, and I could well, see the so, progression, yeah. which is always a really good thing. And then at some point, I think I used that that newfound level in sport to then take it back to trad. And that had always been my dream. And I had a project in the UK that we that we planned and Caroline coached me through it for about six months. She built me a training program. So at that point, I was still not trad climbing at all. And I think I had even said I don't want to trad climb because I, I mean, I'm scared. I mean, <laughs> I'm a normal person. So mm. I was afraid of the concept. But uh, James was... Getting more and more into it mentally, and I was seeing him do it. So I thought at some point, I will never understand James fully if I don't try track climbing. So I tried, and uh, to my surprise, I really, really liked it. Because there's this, uh, I mean, just like you explained, it just trad is you've got sport climbing, which is all about the physical level, and obviously, there's a lot of mental control, but it's control of your physical, like how you display your energy, and uh, On top of that, you can add um, controlling fear and handling danger. and So it's like as if you, you just added an, an extra dimension of complexity. Yeah, and then on top of that, you add yeah. the whole kind of complex issue of choosing and selecting and, and placing and managing all the protection that you have to place, which is, again, a whole kind of world in its own right. Mm. And so you had all these new skills to, to learn and, and to develop, and I think... Caroline, when she was approaching the end of a sport climbing career, you'd have probably, with or without trad, oh, you would yeah, have would probably have, finished yeah, I would have, competition climbing. I would have never stopped climbing, but I would have stopped competitions. More because the way... So, I think you're going to have a really good conversation about what competition is about. And I have met competitors who told me I wish the best to everybody. But I wasn't like that. And I don't actually know if there are really competitors who are truly wishing the best to everybody. <laughs> I, I, saw, I saw one of the movies I saw, and I think it was James quoting you, so I don't know if it's 100%. But you said, James, that Caroline was one of those climbers who said, I want to kill the competition. And it's, maybe I wouldn't say kill, but this I think is you said true. destroy. Yeah. yeah. Or yeah. annihilate, or something yeah. like that. <laughs> it was on the first day, the first day that we actually ever ever really talked <coughs> yeah, that's. I think that's the way I've been brought up. First mm. of all, <laughs> I, I remember. Yeah, you were competitive in everything was, in your I life. I mean, my my dad's. I don't know if it does matter, but my mom was very competitive, and my dad. Uh, he was he's Vietnamese, and I remember one time him tell. I was like, at the end of the competition, being like, "Oh uh, yeah, I'll just I'll just try that route, and it doesn't matter." And I was twenty. 25 at the time so you know a grown up and my dad was just on holiday and he's like no Caroline you're not just doing the route you're you're winning <laughs> like oh wow okay <laughs> this is where try, I come from. Win. Yeah. <laughs> and your mum she she she'd always told you that you were the best you're the best you're the most special yeah. you're the most so pretty I, I've you're always the most clever I brought up I've been brought up competitive like have I had to be the first in class I had to be the first in everything I was doing uh So, but this is super selfish. <laughs> and I think I reached that point where I wasn't comfortable with the person I was. I think, I do think all competitors experience this uh, trouble here that it's, I don't think you can be a competitor without being super selfish. 
Maybe you can. I don't know. Maybe I guess you can put it and put your hat on and put your hat, hat off, but I couldn't do it. And so I knew I had to move on from that because I would just not become a nice person otherwise. But do you think uh, trad climbing in, in, in that way, it kind of helped you? Like, yeah, because uh, trad climbing... Um, first of all, I stopped competition, direct competition. And becoming a pro climber, a pro trad climber... Um, It was definitely not about who's doing the hardest route. It every route is very different in trad climbing, and every every story is very specific. So I could just find my own path. And now our life is completely different. It's about uh, telling stories about the experience we live, and it's really not about uh, who is the best outdoor climber in the world. Or I mean, I would I'm willing to lose that competition actually. Mm. Um, it's about it's yeah, it's about sharing stories that might hopefully motivate people to want to leave stories just like that. Yeah, going back to what we said right at the beginning of the thing, it's just about to try and... We have... Climbing is probably the best thing that we have in our lives. I always say it's the best gift I've ever been given, but I don't know who actually gave it me. Gave myself, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> just felt like it, going crazy one day, gave myself climbing. <laughs> but it's the best thing that we have, and if we can share that image with, with one person... Then it's you know it's a, so I think this it's is a positive thing to do for yeah this is the moment where you you take a step back and you're like what is my life achieving uh, actually I think you you said it but you've got this maybe I've heard it you say it so much times that I I don't I don't feel like you put your heart in in this uh, even if this is pretty much true just one of my corporate slogans yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this I think well I mean we're six how do you say trillion in, no milliard Trillion. Six uh, billion. B billion. Billion. Yeah. Six billion. Milliard. <laughs> okay. Billion. Yeah. Where a lot of people know. <laughs> I can't figure out the way to say it. A lot, a lot, a lot. <laughs> and we, let's be realistic, we are useless. I mean, James and I were useless. We're not bringing in anything. And you could say in one bad way, what are we? You could say on one side, we are glorified advertising. And that's quite sad but you could say on the other side our purpose is to uh, hopefully get people to go climb more go be in the nature more and if they're in the nature more they're less con uh, consuming less less in the supermarkets and uh, thinking twice about taking that car to yeah maybe choosing the bike over the yeah, car exactly. next time so. just, just somehow to opening people's eyes to mm. what might be out to there how, how much of a treasure we and have I'm not for and one how moment. much in danger it is as well And I'm not for one moment saying that we know everything and we see it all clearly. No, we're just as confused as everybody else. But just to be aware that there are there are a million and one ways to look at the world that we live in and the way that people in Sweden see it and the way that people in the UK or in America or in Africa or in Asia, like everyone is so different. And but at the same time, we're all you know we're all just trying to figure it out. You said yeah. that traveling is is is. One of yeah, the reasons that we like to travel we didn't so talk much. About traveling at all, but that's the one big thing that climbing brought us. It's a it's a gift from climbing. Yeah, traveling. You get to see the world. Yeah. yeah, but you don't just get to see the world. I mean, when when I was a kid, my my parents did travel a lot. They had uh, quite enough money to travel, but we'd always go on the how do you say tour operator. Yeah, I guess because ultimately we don't have that much money, we're forced to travel in a way that uh, you. Know, Puts us in contact, um, in fact, puts us at the mercy of of the local people. Mm. 
And now, you mean, you, you, you turn on the news every day and you just see horror story after horror story, people being horrible and awful to each other. And people are scared, I think, of of, of the unknown and, and strangers. So people and yet, are scared of me, just buying a plane ticket. The, I mean, not everybody, but a lot of people are, sp- are scared of buying a plane I've ticket and nothing, just going off in a country where they don't speak the language. But but I and we have had nothing but positive experiences from, from traveling. And when you put yourself kind of in the arms of, of, of somebody, most of the time they just want to give you a hug. They're not going to steal your wallet. Yeah. And... I think why did it happen in the first place? Because we wanted to travel to climb. So we want to tre- to reach that crag, which is completely mm. off the touristic path. So there's no way to book a tour operator. So you you have no choice. You have to go for it. You buy your flight ticket. And uh, and then you're not really sure. You kind of try and plan things ahead, but you can't plan much things. But, I mean, we've we've had... So... That's the first thing we've had. We've been forced to climb to travel off the beaten tracks, and that was an amazing discovery. And I wish that to anybody. And the other thing is, there is a big. I think it's the same in any sport. There's a big universal climbing community. Mm. So wherever you go, you'll meet a climber. You <laughs> you can only say a few signs. You've got a few English words in common, but uh, somehow in in a few days you'll become friends, and maybe next year you'll come to your home to spend some holidays there. So. He's got this very, very different life. He's got a, he lives in a world that's not your world with different rules and different objectives. But he will let you inside his world so you will get to discover what, what reality it is that you have. I always feel like when we travel, it's like our brain shifts a little bit and uh, you feel just Building a little less Building new pathways stupid. and so on. Building yeah. new, yeah. So that's the real big thing. Now, now that we're 30... Sometimes you're like, do we actually travel to climb or do we climb to travel? And yeah, that's the the eternal question that we pose <laughs> right right now. I think. Are you ever afraid of? Well, we've actually already touched upon this, but about being like jaded, like because you, you get to see all these fantastic places and do these amazing things. Uh, is it difficult sometimes to stay humble? And I mean that both in the sense of like appreciating your backdoor climbing route, but also when it comes to exposing yourself to risks. Isn't that a, a problem to become kind of too overly confident in a way? I don't know. I think one of the one of my big fears is what what's going to happen and how am I going to react when when all this comes to an end. So well hold on, clarify what? Because it looks like you're gonna die. No, and all of this <laughs> this wonderful life come comes to an end, and how will I fit back into the real world? How I call it, and that's something that well, you know, I guess I won't find out until it actually happens. We're trying to, I guess, at one hand, we're we're trying to make plans and, and prepare for that, but at the same time, I think simply probably just by by traveling and, and visiting and seeing all these places. Yes, it, it does show you all of the, the the magnificent things out there, but I think at the same time it teaches you to actually be be more humble because mm-hmm. you realize that you're just a tiny, you're ultimately just a tiny part of a of a, of a huge system that is going to keep on working with you or without you. And so, yes, we are right now living these incredible experiences, and yes, one day we won't be able to travel as much, we won't be able to have all these magical things all the time whenever we want them. 
And that's a bit scary, but at the same time, you look at it and you realise, well, you know, does it really matter? What does it change? Like, if I'm here or if I'm not, it doesn't change anything. So all I have to try and do is find a way to be happy with what I have in that moment there. Like, don't stress too much about what may or may not be in the future. Yeah, I think maybe this is the not really searching the great purpose of why are we alive, because maybe there isn't a great purpose and maybe we are nothing and... Maybe we should just enjoy it Yeah, now. I think we're just there to exist and make yeah. the most of it whilst we can. But to be kind of pretentious, isn't that um, isn't that uh, what would define, like being adaptable, like what you're describing is about being adaptable, mm-hmm. adaptable to life. And isn't that what makes a good climber? Like if you are adaptable, adaptable and being able to roll with the punches, kind of to keep keep on moving forwards and solving problems and like, I don't know whether it's something, I mean, yeah, for sure, it, it's definitely a positive um, attribute to, to, to have. But I think, you know... Not just for climbing. To be a climber <laughs> or yeah, just, to be, just to be a person. Like, climber seems a bit, like, actually useless there. But just to be adaptable seems... It's the first time I think about it like that, but... I mean, yeah. adaptability as a, as a climber, for sure, as, as a track yeah, climber yeah. or I'm, in the mountains... I'm thinking about ad- adaptability as a You need life, to be able to, obviously, adjust to every situation, the situations that are going to be constantly ch- changing... But I think adaptability in in life is I hope is probably is probably I hope it's going to be one of the the best things that all this traveling is going is going to give us, and I can imagine why somebody that only lives one existence or one you know lifestyle, when things change, I can see why they might have a harder time dealing with it than than than, than myself. Even though you could argue that. Maybe you know we have a great life now, and it and it might get worse. Regardless of that, we've we've, we've got learned... perspective. Yeah, it's hmm. a it's a cliche, and obviously everybody says uh, it's about realizing that you're really lucky. <laughs> I mean, it's cliches are there for a reason. When you travel, I mean, what is the percentage of a developed country and the percentage of people who live in a third world country? We're just so lucky yeah. to have had. Even if it has to stop tomorrow, yeah. like that should be just m- much more than enough for us. Even if we're going to have s- the super shit, like I'm, I'm the planner type. So I always plan things. I have got plan A, plan B, plan C, depending on what happens. So in my head, I've planned even what happens if James dies. And and it's horrible to think. Obviously, if I die, there's nothing to plan about. So that's actually the really easy solution. But if James dies and I don't die... That's the worst situation for me. If we die both, this is amazing as well. Um, but the 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 only way I can get off is just thinking: um, if James die, it will be all finished. But I'll still know that we had we've had all this time that was just amazing and unexpected, and we didn't deserve it realistically. So I I just I always try to focus on like let's try and. Keep this collection of memories, and mm. even if it's gone, in one way, it's always going to be there. It's uh, but how do you re- how do you react? Because because in your line of work, I don't know, in your in your world, tragic events happen to people living in the mountains. Oh so. yeah, of course, that's the deal. Yeah, and, and 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 I'm sure you you both have have close friends that are no longer with us, and you hear about um, accidents and so on. How do What does that do to you? How does that how does that affect you? And how do you do you ever question your 
question your, I your think the choices. First, uh, the first thing, again, I come back to perspective. I think we've, our modern developed, super ha happy and sheltered society has made a really big deal of death. Like dying before you're 80 is, uh, is a really bad thing happening to somebody and we dwell on it for a lot. But you go to Philippines and <laughs> I mean, it happens all the time when people, somehow they manage it. Death is normal. I think maybe one first thing that we've learned with discovering so many places, so many people is that, well, if somebody dies, it's really sad, it's really horrible and will be really sad but I mean life goes on whatever um, so that, that was the first thing you don't you don't agree no I agree I mean it's <laughs> it's kind of down to earth but it's like it's kind of when seeing somebody crying and giving him a little bit of a slap in the face and be like just move on and that's all it's just but, harsh but I mean life is not we just think life is supposed to be easy but no life is not life supposed is not, to be easy life's not supposed to be fair life's just life you know just just is everybody's there doing something there's no re real reason behind it and and i've had i've had close friends die in the mountains but also had close friends die doing stupid stuff in in the city mm. and also friends kill themselves and you know just like it's death death is death and whether it's for one reason or another is it more sad or less sad i think i'd be almost more sad to 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 see somebody that's lived a very sheltered life and ha with few life experiences die, you know, doing something mundane than somebody die in the mountains doing something they love. I think that's a... But then what's really hard is uh, for the people who remain. That's always the big it's always, problem. That's the big yeah. problem. So I think both uh, James and I, we educate each other onto the fact that, I think we, we repeat it to each other, while we're living is amazing, if it has to stop tomorrow... Both James and I, we're fully happy with that. And I even try to educate my sister on that because she's, my sister's really not like me. She's a, you could say, stereotypically, you could say she's got a sheltered life. I mean, she, you, stereotypically, you could say she's got a normal, a normal existence. I mean, she's a, she's a really happy person. She's got a great husband, two great kids. Um, but her expectation is that we shouldn't die before 80 years old. If we do, something happened. Something and I wrong. keep trying to educate her to the fact that maybe I will die earlier. I don't want to. Maybe I will die earlier and this is fine and she must not be sad for me because I did what I wanted. But it's hard to educate her on that. And you did the same with your parents. Well, not so much, but I think you consider your parents are tough and they can handle it. Yeah, I think they've maybe already come to terms with, with all that. I don't think so. I don't know whether you ever come to terms with losing your child. I guess that's always a... Yeah, it's a nice like, story. It's something instinctively built in, but... No, honestly, for my my personal view on on death is not something to... It's not something to fear or to worry about. If I die walking across the street this afternoon when I leave the leave the office, I mean, it's fine. Um, I had an, I've had an amazing life and I've lived so many incredible experiences well, and listening to us it looks like we're ready to die we're, like, no no I, 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 I really I really hope much rather I really the, hope that I, that I take the 80 year old deal tomorrow right? yeah. <laughs> I really hope that we continue to, to have a, a life like this and make loads more memories in whatever kind of arena that that, that is but at the same time I don't find deaths 
scary, the prospect of death. The yeah. prospect of losing somebody is a lot scarier than the prospect of dying. Yeah, how do, you, how do you find a way to be happy all over again without... This is this is really hard to go to terms with that, but I guess you just find ways. I mean, that's human nature. But what what, what keeps you moving forward? Is it the inspiration and, and the love for the experience? So instead I of mean, walking out in front of a bus this afternoon, just <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'm trying to pull you back to the light side. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's very simple. We've got an amazing life, so every. Pretty much every hour nice, of every our moment. life is amazing. I mean, like right now, think, put things in perspective. On one side, you could say, oh, God, we just came back from the US and we had only two days at home. And now we've got to go to Sweden and we've got to do this thing. And it's <laughs> No, 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 Finland. Yeah. You're in Finland yeah. now. Oh, my God. Oh, See, it's happening all the no, time. I don't know no, why. No, he's making fun of you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I don't know what's happening in my brain. She's so used to the fact that she's going to make mistakes. She's conditioned herself just to be apologetic. Oh, shit, I've done it again. I'm sorry. I got it right. So we're in sir. Norway. <laughs> the North. We're in the North. I can't get it wrong. Uh, you lost me there. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so you so were moaning you, you that, say, we, that we don't have any time at home and so we're now we're in Sweden. So that's the very French way of looking at things, you know? No, 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 we have to work, la, 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 and we don't have any time at home. Or you can just say, I mean, how great is that to get to visit Stockholm? That's the right city, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we went to see the, the Vasa museum. The museum. And mm-hmm. I mean, that was mind-blowing, really. You guys are really lucky to have it. We ate awesome food. Reindeer. We ate awesome food. When did you eat reindeer? <laughs> that dwarf. <laughs> and, uh, Poor Rudolph. I'm sorry. We, even if it's a really short trip, three days, we get to uh, meet people from here. We, I mean, even this podcast's awesome. Like we get to meet you, even and, and this you have podcast. a so you have such an. <laughs> of course, it's fantastic. <laughs> no, you just have such an interesting I mean, it's the first time life as well. I'd, I'd prefer to actually be here interviewing you. That would be like, almost more interesting. <laughs> we'll book you up for later. <laughs> but it's so. I mean, just every every experience yeah, that you live, you can take something. F- you can take something interesting from it. Mm. We've never done a podcast before. I've never been in a building with such this table. It looks made super of, uh, trendy, this, isn't it? It yeah. is super. I mean, the floor is amazing. This yeah. glass. This is pretty cool. Uh, there's a. I've got a little bit of an obsession for lights, mm-hmm. and uh, there's a light. The light bulb is pretty cool. Eh? <laughs> That's super inspiring. Mm. Sadly, I don't know how to uh, work. Should have a metal. goldfish. <laughs> that would be perfect. <laughs> so yeah, perspective. But uh, I think there's really I no trouble with keeping us going. You're completely losing it, James. <laughs> <laughs> We're running out of time anyway. So. Okay, okay. So, <laughs> but um, what what do you see like in the coming? The coming months in your life, what's what's so up? So we always ahead? switch years. So last year was fairly focused on my project because it was a big project, required a lot of time. And this year we put more focus on James. So you Be- have making about- him a YouTube star. Exactly. That's the uh, the goal. <laughs> Caroline's going to start getting naked soon because yeah. I figured out that's the only way I'm going to get ever more than 300 subscribers. <laughs> I mean, you chose the wrong way for that. I'm not getting naked. <laughs> So this year, um, so we we just we were just in the U.S. for th- the last three weeks because for the last few years now I've been looking for um, what I hope will be my next 
level of in of, of trad climbing and it's kind of it's looking for a route that's going to push me further than i've been uh, i've been pushed before and um so we've we've been searching all over the world for this thing a lot in south africa recently we decided to go looking in the u.s and so he's looking for a new route yeah not an existing route um, and so the problem is It's it's always really hard to find even to find a hard climbing route, even if it's sport climbing. Um, finding you know a natural piece of rock that's just that right level of difficulty that has holes in just the right places, is is already complicated enough. And then when you have to add to that the fact that it needs to be protect protectable, <laughs> because I won't get into boring details about why and anyway, but it's it's really complicated. So we've been looking a lot and we haven't really found that much. So he's talking about technical things, but then. The thing is, James got his dream in his head of a route that is just about, you know, like that, with that and that. And to have a dream and want to find the real, the reality of that dream is just really hard to find a piece you know, of If you're rock. allowing yourself to dream, then you will yeah, allow yourself sure. to really Yeah, hey, the journey is the, the, the reward, right? Exactly. <laughs> and so we've been... The chase for it. Oh, we've, 100%. We've been to the US. This is already a... That was mind-blowing. Not always positively, but <laughs> just... Yeah, I mean, yeah. in the recent, well, 2017, new president with uh, a lot of things to say, and we went to the ta the thousand southern. I can't, I can't say that word. South. The states of the south of the USA. <laughs> the southern states. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, we, uh, that was so the climbing aspect of it was to find James Dreamert, and the travel aspect of it was to get to an try and understand what's happening there, why people... Is it even possible to understand? Well, why did people believe uh, what, trust, what Trump promised? I think you can understand, actually, when you go there, why they believed it. It's, it's just it's hope. Hope, lack, lack of education, hope lack of possibilities. Fear, and ultimately coming down, like you said, to lack of education. And this is crazy to realize that the first world uh, power is... There, but they are there. I mean, clearly, they are. But we shouldn't talk about politics on yeah. this podcast. We're probably the, <laughs> I think this the is okay least acceptable. I don't think anybody in Europe would back Trump now in the media. So. Yeah, <laughs> but it was super okay. interesting. We, in fact, we we went with the question of okay, in in Europe, Trump's obviously portrayed as kind of a clown, and there's there's. I don't think there's any me any media source that has really positive things to say about him. He's just the same. They portray this caricature all the time, and so we're like, it, you know, in the, it can't be like that in the U.S. because there's 50 of the the population that, well, let's not argue about that, that technically voted for him, and and so there's got to be some people that have positive things to say, and no, even over there <laughs> we don't find it. But I think that's simply because we live in a, an age where the me the the media that you see is so tailored towards your own tastes yeah. and your own yeah. filter of, bubbles and, exactly and even if we don't want it it's pretty much impossible to yeah, find not yeah. that many people buy a newspaper anymore mm. a lot of people get their news via facebook and it's automatic pretty much automatic media. feeds yeah. and so even I mean, over we there we we, we were shocked knows kind of the why and what but um, but With all of that kind of confusion... So you are running for president. Exactly. Let's make it official. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> of which country? I'm gonna, my, my, main, my main plan is that I'm going to go and do this really hard trad route. You know, there's no president Make trad UK. climbing mm. great again. <laughs> yeah, but I'm going to... That's that the... Uh, You've got it. I'm going to go to the See? States. So we had this cap and... Yeah, we did you, actually make caps saying make trad climbing great again. No, real. Yeah. yeah. Really, ah, did you? I, I can you. give you a... 
No, a picture. <laughs> great minds think alike. <laughs> and we had half of the people really laughing. Oh, the climbers, because the climbing community Everybody is vastly loved it. against Trump. You know, regardless of what... That was the no, beauty no, no, of those no, no, caps. No. Some people looked at you like... How can he Let's dare throw do that? a rock at him. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think everyone loved it. Because <laughs> some people thought we were supporting and others thought we were mocking. And, and some people had no sense of it. In fact, we just didn't realise, what's <laughs> trad climbing? And some people couldn't read. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so no, the good news is that on this trip to the States, I I don't know if we can say I found the one, but I found the closest thing mm. so far to this dream route. And so we'll be going back at the end of the year to hopefully try back and Back again in that same country. <laughs> yeah. I think maybe... We just can't get enough of it. I guess maybe already for a French and an English person, it's hard to understand. But in, for a Swedish person, it's even to understand the US. But it's all... To me, if I had to explain the situation in one word, it's just education. Like education lack possibilities. Of, yeah. Like in Sweden. Perspective have, and yeah, education. Lack, yeah, yeah. Um we'll just keep thank you thank you so much for a a fantastic the 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 first interview where i i didn't even have to use the questions because I kind <laughs> you of didn't use the questions like, oh you, 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 uh, you, uh, to edit we just talked too much <laughs> you hijacked it in the most lovely way and uh, i'm very grateful for you taking your time well i'm very grateful for you to listen to our blah <laughs> blah 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 and i pity you having so, to edit that <laughs> and i'm looking up there and i'm seeing those three tracks i mean you edit three tracks separately or do you no okay it's, you bring it's all it. mixed up in a nice lump okay yeah but you can separate them if you need to cut out something that i say over over caroline i put, or... the, I put the james filter on Yeah, we do speak together very often. Yeah. I think you've noticed, and you're thinking in your head, "Oh my god, this is going to be horrible to edit." Thank you so much, and best of luck for you. Thank you very for, much for the both of you. Much. Well, and, uh, I think we'll start listening. Definitely, you'll have a new subscribers your podcast. I, uh, Yay! I want to know what you can read. Every, every one counts, and you can make uh, ads for me on your YouTube channel. Maybe I haven't <laughs> figured out how to do that yet. I'm not so. I'm not. I'm not there you don't yet. Even have ads. No. Oh my god, you're But so then you know, for like the ad revenue that 300 people was going to bring in, I thought it was just really <laughs> worth it. You can find Husky on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at the handle Husky Podcast. Husky is recorded with support from Naturkompaniet and the new Holiday Club in Åre. The music is made by Joel Mullen.